Heavenly Father, Father of our earth as well, Father of our life, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us, making your presence known to us today. We take a moment to recognize you are with us, the great I am, God with us in this space. How wonderful it is that you invite us to be part of your story. To live out life knowing you. To be both um, impacted by your love and your grace and to be carriers of your love and your grace. This morning we call on you to be at work within us, within our lives, our families, the circumstances that we are living in and through. And we invite you, Lord, to speak to us through your word this morning. We just think of those that aren't with us today, and there are many, and we lift them up before you and ask for your presence and your blessing upon them. We think of Kay's family, Kay and Tony and Matthew, with Kay's mother and stepfather visiting. And we ask for a real blessing upon that time, that it might be a time of restoring and of healing and of... Um, that you would be pouring out your love into that um, home as they visit and rest. And Lord, we pray that you would speak into all the complexities of that situation, that this might be one of those times that becomes the greatest memories in their life, great moments. We think of Mark and Graham and we pray blessing on them as they celebrate 40 years of marriage and as they set an example to the many of us as we walk the journey of marriage in um, how they've walked patiently and with wisdom and with love and grace. And we pray that they'll have a wonderful time. And for the many others that are away this weekend, um, we ask for your presence to protect and to watch over them. We thank you that uh, they don't have to be here to be with you, that you are with them where they go. So we ask a blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have finished the book of Genesis. Woo! Now we've left out heaps and heaps of it. So the, the onus is on each individual to go and to read it yourself because there's a whole bunch of stuff we didn't cover. There's just no possible way to cover it in, I think we did six weeks of Genesis or something. But we have tracked through it. We've had a lot of fun. Michael tried to debunk how good Joseph was and I still could see the, good, the positive side of Joseph. Phew, it's one of my Bible heroes. Um, and we, we've had a really good time learning from these characters. And so today we move into the book of Exodus and we find that the story has changed. That time has passed. In fact, there's been a great big gap between when Joseph settled and all his family followed him to Egypt to when we open the book of um, Exodus. And a new pharaoh, we find out, has risen up, one that didn't know Joseph. Likely there was a change of kings and a bit of an overtake and a war um, is what the commentators suggest. A new king has come in, um, he's got rid of all of the, the previous leaders and he's started his own kingdom. And in doing so, he's got little knowledge but also little respect for the kings and the practices of the past. So if there was a good king or a good prime minister as part of the... He's not interested in that story. He started his own. And so the king sets up, and we learn something about this king really early. We're not going to read it just because um, I'm, I just want to read one chunk today to you. But if you were to read Genesis 1, you'd find out that this king had a character flaw. And the character flaw that was operating in this king is fear. That's the dominating character flaw for him. And fear produces, well, who knows the saying? What is it? 
and suffering leads to the dark side. So what we see at work here is that fear is actually producing something. And so we pick up the story in, in Exodus chapter 2, and I'm just going to read it to you. Recognizing a new king filled with fear. About this time, verse 1 says, A man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was special, a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it amongst the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister stood there at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children. Sorry, let me pause. I forgot to tell you, fear leads to killing of babies for, he, for Pharaoh. I forgot to say this, how, how remiss of me. The Pharaoh was so afraid that the people would rise up and join with his enemy and overcome his power that he ordered the killing of all the baby boys. First he asked the midwives to do it and they refused. Good girls. We don't know whether they're Hebrews or not, but they feared God, the scripture said. Oh, sorry, Pharaoh, we can't get there in time. They have their babies so quick. And so then he invited all of Egypt to join his crime, much like Hitler had, and to, if you find a baby boy, you drown it in the Nile River. So here we are, that's the, um, that's the area, that's, sorry, that's what's happening at the time. So Pharaoh's daughter came down, found the baby, I'm picking up again here at verse... Seven. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the little girl, so the girl, sorry, went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took the baby home and nursed him. And later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Well, we've been looking at some great male characters for a long time. We've looked at Abraham, we've looked at Isaac, we've looked at Jacob, we've looked at Joseph. It's time for some girls. This is a girl's story today. I'm really excited. We have three women in this story that I want to watch today as the um as we open this passage it doesn't seem like a very amazing passage to be honest upon reading it it's a bit of a sounds a bit like a child's story maybe because we learnt it as a child and and so the story kind of stands out like that but what we discover is we have three women that act in a way that is contrary to everybody else and what we see is an action that is the character of god and the call of God. And so I just want to look at them today. I just want to um, briefly pop by the mother, by Miriam, and by Pharaoh's daughter and have a little look at what they do. And I want to realize in this point that in those days, children were at risk. That was a climate of fear for children, not dissimilar to the world we live in. Different kind of Nile River at play here, different kind of Pharaoh at play. But the children in our world are also at risk. And so as we look at these characters, I want you to also hear the call of God for us. Okay? So that's how we're going to engage today with this scripture. So I don't know about you, but um, 
I think Moses' mother must have been freaking out when she found out she had a baby boy. I mean, normally it's a great joyous occasion to have a son. But in this situation, born under the edict of the Pharaoh, that all baby boys must be murdered. Well, I don't know, but it seemed not to affect Aaron and Miriam. So it seems that Moses, because it, it, it sort of tells the story of forgetting leaving out, sorry, Aaron and Miriam, who were already born, both older, and then Moses is born afterwards. So it seems that it coincides here with Pharaoh's edict. So she's afraid. And you can tell she's afraid because she hid the baby for three months. Now, I can't imagine living in a circumstance like that. As a mother, I can't imagine living under that kind of edict but I want you for a moment to get in touch with your parental instincts instincts or your um, care of children your instincts of how you feel about children in our society and for just a moment put yourself in her shoes the most terrifying thing is to have your children taken away and murdered the vulnerable stolen this wicked pharaoh was so afraid that his attack wasn't on the strong but on the weak. The anger and the hatred that seethed within him attacked the most vulnerable in society. And this woman was in a situation, even though she lived under the covenant of God, where God had multiplied, just like he said he would, the Israelites. And she lived under that covenant and yet they lived in a horrific time. And it was what it was. And so it was up to her to step up in courage and to put her trust in God in this kind of moment. Nobody else could do it for her. There was no advocate in this situation that could change her circumstances, only God. So she was a courageous woman and a woman of faith, but not the kind of faith that says, yeah, I believe, blah, 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 blah. She was a James chapter 1 kind of faith woman, or a James woman, really. Her faith and her actions were plugged in together and she recognised that she could no longer hide him after three months and she needed to make a plan. And her plan wasn't just to give up and let it go and let's, you know, see if God stands up for me. And her plan wasn't to, um, you know, try and triumph and take control and, and murder the Pharaoh. That's what I would have liked to have done. That's what I would have thought about as a mother. I think at that time, how can I knock off the Pharaoh to save my child? But her, her plan was to put her trust in God, to say, this child belongs to you, God. Now, she doesn't say any of this. If you, as you read the story, she actually hasn't got a voice. There's no voice at all. But you can see by her actions the voice of what's going on here. Courage, intention. She's made a papyrus basket she's put tar in it she's not putting him out to see to sink this is a waterproof basket this has got a protective cover on it there's some protection there's mother's care but there's also an element of saying god there's nothing more i can do and i place him into your hands and there is an invitation within that for all parents i think there comes days and i imagine this happens all the way through and those of you who've got kids that are grown up will be able to tell me that you ongoingly are taking care of your children and concerned about their well-being and keeping an eye on them and thinking I wonder you know will they be all right I have this vague memory of my my nana who lived with my, my uncle who's deaf lived as a dependent all his life with her and I have this vague memory of her in her early 80s saying I need to live to 95 because that's when uncle Lindsay 
can retire and then I don't have to make his lunch every day and he can be taken care of. And it's just a vague little memory. But, you know, she's in her 80s at the time making plans of how to take care of her children who would be grown up. And in the end, she moved into a a, um, nursing sort of village um, apartments because two spots came up and she wanted him to go in and so she moved in as well against her wishes. She would have liked to have stayed in her house her whole life and yet she made these decisions based on... So I imagine that caring and worrying about your children goes on a long time and yet the invitation for us as parents, whether they're in utero or whether they're grown up, is to continue to bring them and put them before God because we, in fact, are powerless. We don't want to abandon or just leave them and see what happens. But at the same time, we can't control the circumstance and we need to actively put it, bring our kids before God and put our trust in God in a circumstance that is hopeless. It was hopeless. I mean, there was no guarantee for her of anything beyond God. So here she is, a great woman of faith. Our next character is Miriam. She's a little girl. I don't know how old she is. I forget what the gap is. Um, but there's a, bit, a little bit of a gap. She's the oldest in the family. But she's not grown up. She's still a little girl. And she's set beside the river. And I don't know whether her mum put her there or whether she herself volunteered. I wonder what will happen. What will God do? But here she is at the side of the river and she really was taking a risk because not only was she not doing whatever she probably should have been doing, but she was also risking the fact she might see something she didn't want to see. It's a dangerous place, the river. Not a safe place for babies to float. And so there was a real risk for her. And sometimes I know as a person, I don't want to know about the risks that children face across our globe because it makes me uncomfortable. I spent a little bit of time this week reading about children that work um, as labourers and children that work as slaves in our globe today. You know, across our globe, there's 28 million people that are considered slaves, working as slaves across the globe. That's more than any other time in history and certainly more than when the abolition of slavery was decreed. Many of these are children. Not only are children slaves, but they're also labourers who work from very early morning to late at night, quite often in agriculture, but not limited to, and they get paid a pittance. In fact, that's why they have children working for them, because they can pay them a pittance. And across our globe as we speak, there are children that are sometimes trafficked for that very purpose. And they work in agriculture, they work in um, sewing, they work in the sex industry, they work in chocolate industry. There's a hesitation, they work in coffee industry. There's a hesitation for me to say this, but in actual fact, because I don't want to know, if I don't read it, maybe it's not happening. But I'm inspired by this little girl, Miriam, who went there and was willing to see what would happen. More courageous than I am. And she was present in a place of advocacy. So when the princess came down and found the baby, she was ready to speak out, risking everything to speak out for the life of a slave child. You know, the birth of a child, it changes life. Even if it's a slave child, it can change the course of history, and Moses did. 
Jesus wasn't a slave, but he certainly lived in a land that was occupied by other powers. And his birth changed the world. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just a little child. What does it matter to be an advocate for that? Who knows how many great leaders have not been protected because the church has sat back quietly, lacking courage, like Miriam had, to stand by and to get ready to be a voice for the child, to be a voice for God, in fact. The invitation is that we need to step up and to be advocates for the children across our globe. That doesn't mean they all have to be overseas. There are children in our own society, community, family sometimes, extended family, that we need to be advocate voices for. And I want to encourage you today to take seriously the courage of Miriam and to see that that's actually the heart of God. Rising up people, and God will use young people when the older ones don't do it. Moses' mother wasn't there to see what happened, but Miriam was. And I want to encourage us to be advocates. I actually want to launch this little thing, but maybe we need a bit of time to, to plant the idea. But I've got this great idea. I watched a Bargain Hunt spin-off. Do you ever watch Bargain Hunter? It's where they go and they buy stuff and then they sell it and they try and make the most money. You know how they have like the professionals with them? So the spin-off was that two professionals go head-to-head. They've got a limited amount of money, their own money. Have you seen this one? And they both buy and they renovate and restore and then they sell. And whoever win, makes the most money on top of the money they've spent is the winner. And here's the kicker. They give that money to charity. And I thought, there's some really creative people in our community and they might think, oh, well, I could never preach or I could never this or you know, maybe I'm not, youth group's not my thing. I really like to do creative stuff and rah, 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 rah. Here's the call. Who's in? We, don't, we put in our $50 of our own money that's the limit of how much we can spend. We've got four weeks to restore, renovate, do up, paint, whatever. And then we'll pop them on eBay, see if we can sell them off. And whatever we raise, we send towards some kind of organisation where they're defending child labourers or slavery. This one here is called A21, Abolishing Slavery in the 21st Century. This is particularly aimed at the European countries that have children operating in the sex slave industry. Did you hear me? Children operating in the sex slave industry. Trafficked, stolen and set to work. It's a horrific reality. And it is something we can work towards helping. But other organisations are at work. Compassion, World Vision, UNICEF. Go online and you can find there are a whole bunch of organisations willing to help willing and wanting people to get on board, setting children free to live the life they were created for. The voice of the advocate is found in the child Miriam and what an inspiration she is. The final female for today is the princess. She's not even a Hebrew, not even one of God's chosen people. And here she is acting out and participating in kingdom work, part of God's plan, cooperating willingly with the work of God. This is the daughter of the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh filled with fear and hate, the Pharaoh who would kill the children. And here she is as she opens the basket and sees the child. And the Bible says she felt sorry 
for him. And as you know, as I read that, I, I heard this echo in my heart, the idea of when Jesus looked out over Jerusalem. Do you remember? And the scripture says he was moved with compassion. This action that was taking place in her was a godly action, moved with compassion. These poor people that need somebody to take them in and to rescue them and to love them and to redeem them. And here's our princess going against the family tradition, shall we say. Ooh, her daddy gonna be cross with her. She's not doing the right thing at all. It's a risk for her to reach out and to love a child that should not, by Pharaoh's law, be alive anymore. But she looks at him and she loves him. She's moved straight away with feeling sorry and compassion. And she begins to act in a way that she shouldn't be. But because she's responding really to God, she participates in his work. And she takes the child in. I love it. Not only does she let his mother nurse him, but she pays his mother to nurse him. This is one of those times where, you know, given it'll come back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. God actively reimburses the mother so that her life and her, her story is filled with the goodness of God in the midst of the impossible. Something about this Pharaoh's daughter that strikes me. She takes into her home a child that's not hers and she raises him unbeknownst to her, for a job that he will need to be equipped for down the track. He grows up in the palace. He learns about governance. He learns about leadership. He learns about mercy and justice. He learns about building and getting a whole people on board. He learns how to lead, how to write. She's picked him up a slave and trained him for the very job God has for him. I believe that the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, we are called to be fathers and mothers of the children who come into his kingdom who don't have godly fathers and mothers. There are some people that grow up and they don't know the story of God. They don't know the love of God. They don't know that God actually can transform them, renew their mind, give them a, a plan, a purpose that is greater than what they ever dreamed. In fact, in this community, I mean, they're all gone now, They've gone, gone training in the kingdom of God. But in this community, we have young people who have no heritage of God's ways and they're here and they need the community to rally around and to be fathers and mothers of the faith in this community. Thank you. Don't let them off the hook, Paul. What an incredible call it is for us to step up and to say, yeah, it'll cost me something. I mean, it cost the princess something, didn't it? And yeah, it might interrupt my life a little bit. But in actual fact, I have an opportunity to invest into the lives of these young people here that they might be all that God has created them to be. You guys know this story, but I'm going to tell you again. My mum grew up in poverty in a ghetto called Campau, which was located at the zoo, or some of the zoo. It's not, not anymore. It's all zoo now. And she lived there with her father, and her older brother came and went, and her younger sister and younger brother again. Her mother didn't live with them. She was, in fact, not married to my mum's dad. And she came and went. She had a couple of other kids here and there, 
and the world was a poor, poor, dark place. And my mum grew up in um, all government-assisted ghettos. So there was all the money they had was from the government, but it wasn't very much, and all the poor lived together. And she said, I, I, I used to, they would knit free us all, get us all to line up and just pour kerosene on our heads to knit free us all in one hit because we were infested. Communal wash houses um, and just sharing of life in, in and out of each other's homes. And my mum's younger sister had three children. You've seen that um, show Love Child where they go off and they have their baby. That's what happened to my mum's younger sister a couple of times in her story. It was a place of darkness. Into that place came a couple who actually couldn't have children, Laurie and Alva Hayes, and they came in to teach Sunday school. And they taught the children that Jesus loved them. And they taught them songs and they taught them verses from the scripture and they taught them ways to live. And through their message, my mum learned that Jesus loved her and she chose to follow him. And little by little, they trained her and she taught Sunday school. And then she started to work alongside them. And then she went to Bible college. And then she met my dad. And my grandpa, well, that's what I call Laurie, he walked her down the aisle. And somehow between when she was a little girl and when I was born, they became family. These people that had no children, in fact, had many children because they took children along into their homes and they loved them and they taught them the way of God. And the generations that have come out of that have been generations that have taught the love of God to others. It's up to us to make a difference in the generations around us, to teach the young people that come in here God's ways, to love them, to nurture them, to welcome them, them into his kingdom. What an inspiration. Three women from the story of Moses. From here on, it's blokes all round. But these three women were amazing women, courageous, faithful, advocates, became the voice of the slave and the adoptee, the mothers, the fathers. I want to encourage you to search within yourself and ask God, what, is God, what are you calling me, God, to do with the young people in the world is it to be a financial advocate to get on board something and bring about freedom commit to a long-term plan is it to be just actually one day at a time with my own kids at the moment but I'm going to put them down before God or my or my grandkids I'm going to pray for them or to commit to praying for one of these young people that are part of our community every day and you be the father or the mother that brings them before God and lays them there in his presence or is it to actually be an adopter to take people into your family, to be the one who becomes a mother or a father, a speaker of life and truth. Children are central in the kingdom of God. Remember he brought the child into the midst of them and he blessed them. And he expects that we will participate in the same kind of ways, being a blessing to children and seeing what those children will do for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, I imagine that 3,000 years ago when this story started, nobody expected that their story would be the inspiration for thousands of years. But here today, we are engaged and invited and convicted and encouraged to also be prayerful, courageous 
advocates and adopters and life givers of the children in our generation. And we think of the many young people that come through this building every single week, whether it's in the hub or the playgroups, whether it's in their kids' clubs or the youth groups, or here at church on a Sunday. And we think of the many that go to Brecky Club, many children, over 100 children that are seen through our Brecky Clubs every single week. And Lord, we want to ask that your presence and your love would be shared with each and every one. We want to ask that you bless the leaders of our kids' um, um, clubs and organisations. And we think of Marion, who's sitting here with us, for Laura, for Kate, for Liana, for um, Caitlin and Lauren, and many others that come and are part of that. And Father, for Iris and for Emma as part of the playgroup. Lord, we just want to thank you for these people that are willing to give of themselves. I ask that you would help us to be courageous enough to give of ourselves too. Help us to respond, Lord, to your whispers in this area. In Jesus' name, amen.